Welcome to season three of And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special events, or buy some of our merchandise, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Oh, and if you enjoy And The Writer Is, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. This week's guest has established herself as one of the premier songwriters in the music business. In only a few years, she's crafted number one records, been featured on hits, and was listed on Forbes's 30 Under 30 list. Take that in for a second. Raised on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, this woman is defining her career on her own terms, both as a writer and as an artist. And the writer is always on my wife's playlist, <laughs> Emily Warren. Thank you for that. That's true, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, di- I didn't know that you were doing the um, that you were doing the artist thing until I saw your name pop up on our car while we were driving around. <laughs> I was like, "Oh wow, how did you get this?" She's like, "Oh, it's great." Oh. So, so that's how I heard. It. I heard of you in a very natural like. Non music industry sort of way. That's the best way. Yeah, it's true. So uh, this is kind of fun because there are only I've, I think we've done maybe two interviews, three interviews with someone that I haven't actually spent time with. Yeah. So I'm excited because I'm actually out. I'm actually going to get to know you, <laughs> like normal people meet. <laughs> well, not normal people don't meet on the podcast, <laughs> but you get what I mean. Um, okay, so uh, tell me about yourself. You were where, uh, tell me about where you were born. I was born in New York City, Manhattan, and uh, where Lenox Hill Hospital. Oh, that's real specific. <laughs> I meant like okay, so okay, there you go. I like that. Okay, um, I grew up on the Upper West Side, uh, and yeah. Were your parents in music? My parents are both lawyers, actually, but my dad has had a band since he was in college. They're all like they all have day jobs. They're called Normal by Day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they just they play all the time around the city, just in small bars and stuff, and at the house. So I was around music always. Are they good? They're amazing. It's my favorite band. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's like '60s covers, so it's it's really fun. Did you ever perform with them? Yeah. Like from an early age. Yeah my my dad used to have. I have a twin brother, and he had. Both of us learn harmonies on like Mr. Postman and do that with him. Amazing. <laughs> and yeah. Did um did you, your brother pursue music too? No, he's uh he's creative. He does kind of like screenwriting and stuff on the side, but he's he's in real estate now. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Is he living in LA with you? No, they're all still in New York. Are you living in LA? No, I'm not. So you're just in LA <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I don't okay. live anywhere. Oh. I've does been... that mean like you literally don't have like an apartment? Yeah. So what do you do when you're home? You just you stay at home. Like when you're in New York, you stay with your parents? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Where do you stay when you're here? Um, with friends. My, all my friends from high school moved here, so there's always a place to stay. But I did, I moved out here when I was finishing college for, I got a two-year lease and I was never here, so I just, it put me off paying rent. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, right. I'm on the move. You see that a lot with touring musicians. A lot of touring musicians, it's like, why, you know, I, I remember like meeting the first time I met people who were really in that world where they would get a, 
you know, whatever, a rental storage spot, right. move their apartment in a storage spot, and then deal with it when they get home. Yeah. But if they're gone for eight months when they're in town, they'll they can either rent a place and now you can Airbnb. So right. it's like, why would you not? Yeah. Do a um, lot of Airbnb. <laughs> how long do you stay in LA when you're here? Um, this time is just a week. Sometimes it's like usually try and do two or three weeks, but um it's always different. It just kinda depends on what's going on. Do you consider yourself bi coastal? Um, I guess so. I mean I'm I spend I feel like most of my time in London actually. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> what, where do you stay in London? My boyfriend lives in London, so uh-huh. I stay with him there. But it's my favorite place to write. There's a couple things I love about writing London. One is the weather. helps me get really emo <laughs> in a way that I feel like I can't hear in the same way. But um, I just, I love kind of like riding the tube and walking around and speaking to people and stuff. And I, I get to feel a little isolated and lonely when I'm here. Yeah, it's weird. It's like there's even same thing even in New York. Even though you're on a subway, sometimes it feels really yeah. isolating. Yeah, New York, New York, and London. I think because I grew up in New York, that's part of the draw of London to me. But yeah, it's just like the pub lifestyle. Everyone goes to the pub after the session. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when did you start writing? Um, I started writing in. I was in fifth grade, and I was taking piano lessons from this this woman named Jen Bloom. And at the end of every lesson, she'd play a song she had written. And I remember it clicking in my head that people wrote songs. That was like the first time I really realized it. And after that, I just started writing all the time. I mean, I was a teenage girl, so stuff was going on in my mind, <laughs> with my emotions, and I was just like, I started writing all the time. What's your first song called? Mm, facing confusion. <laughs> That's pretty elaborate. Wasn't back in the day. I was I was trying to make really fancy lyrics, so I'd hit the thesaurus with everything <laughs> and just replace like average words with bigger words. So the, all those songs sound totally crazy now to me. Do you don't you do that now? <laughs> I mean, not for as real, excessively. There was like not one sentence that made sense. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I feel like rhyming dictionaries and thesauruses are. Are, are like the, the thing that no writers really want to admit that they oh, all yeah. use. But I think I saw somebody put on Instagram, it's like a, a screenshot of a of a rhyming dictionary. And it was like, you, right? yeah, you saw that. It was <laughs> yeah. like the word you. You like you know it's going to be a long day when, yeah. you're, when you're throwing you in the rhyming dictionary. Yep. But we've all done it. Um, when you were growing up in New York, I feel like some musical theater is like a, a big part of New York that... And and London, but New York specifically is. I would imagine every kid who sings, they're told to do musical theater. Yeah. I assume you did musical theater, no? Um, I did a little bit in school. I think my my brother act, my twin brother was in the opera. He was in the Met oh, wow. Children's Chorus, which was insane. And I remember I went to go try out. He, I grew up to be much taller than him early on. And I walked into the audition and the woman just said no <laughs> when I walked in. Oh no. <laughs> because they want you to look like a four-year-old, you know? So that was the end of my <laughs> performing career as a child. You are very tall. How tall are you? 5'11". Does it, do you think that's an advantage? Because like other, you know, it's it allows you to be different than... Yeah, I love other. being tall. Except yeah. I love being in the front at concerts. And if you do that when you're tall, everyone just like actually <laughs> hates you. It's, it's a crazy thing because I'll be standing in the front and people are like, Argh! and you it's hear like, it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so sorry. I wanted to stand and see the show from here. <laughs> sorry, I'm ruining your night. You have to like slightly bend over. It's bad yeah. for your back. <laughs> when were, were you ever in bands and stuff? I mean, yeah. when did you start performing? So, um, after I started writing, my dad kind of encouraged me to get stuff recorded, and I recorded an EP. And then my, um, how old were you? I was in eighth grade then. Yeah. Wow. So you were already getting <laughs> studio experience in eighth grade. Yeah, and actually, my dad's band was my band. They came in and just like they backed me on the EP. Do they? Does he have a studio, or they just rented a studio? Rented a studio. And my uncle does engineering, so he he engineered it. And then does he engineer for fun or is that a career? It's a career. Oh, he does wow. mostly like jazz, world music uh-huh. stuff in New York. Um, and then 
my brothers, I have two older brothers and they, they had a group, their group of friends were in a, a reggae band called the new citrus that had just broken up. And one time I was sitting in my living room and a couple of them were walking out. And I was like, Hey guys, like I just made an EP. Is there any way you do a show with me? And they were all like, no. <laughs> and I, I was like, well, I'll pay you. <laughs> and you're in eighth grade. Yeah. And they were like, all right, you have to pay us each a hundred dollars. And I was like, okay. <laughs> So I babysat for months to earn this money. And then we did a show at the 55 Bar, which is this really tiny jazz club on Christopher Street that somehow allowed us to have a gig. And because all my friends came with their parents, because they couldn't leave the house without their parents, it like blew up. There was people like lining around the block to get, because the place could hold like 15 people. And um, the band were then like, oh, this is like maybe a legit thing. So they didn't make me pay them. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and it kind of just took off from there. I mean, they wanted to do another show and then one thing led to another and we became a band called Emily Warren and the Betters. And we played, we were together for like three or four years. This is eighth grade through senior year? To the end of high school, yeah. That's crazy to do that in high school. Were you getting approached by record labels and stuff in high school? Um... A little bit. I mean, actually, Rhea, who I'm signed to now at Prescription, found us on MySpace and came to our shows like super early on. That's how we first met. Um, so there was a little bit. I mean, it was not like that good. <laughs> it was there was maybe something there, but it was like I don't know. Do you think there are any songs in there that are good? I think. Well, we had one song that was on Skins that was like our claim to fame. Um, now I listen to them and I see what was wrong with them. It's like so many lyrics and just like, I mean, I think I had like kind of a sensibility of like structure and stuff, but they were not. I mean, I don't know if any of them were really. How did you learn song structure? Um, that same piano teacher who I learned to write from was teaching us, like I could bring whatever I wanted to learn to lesson. And my favorite at the time was John Mayer and Gavin DeGraw. And I remember her being like, just notice how there's a verse and then a pre and a chorus and then just we we talk about stuff like that so she really helped me with that and then I think just listening to things that I loved and starting to pay attention to those kinds of things that's like what I learned from where do people write or rehearse in New York <laughs> I know that's a stupid question but I'm not being from New York no, like yeah. I go there and it's like well you know this not a ti- stupid this, question <laughs> this tiny little hotel room cost blank yeah. whatever that is it's big more than you think yeah and then you're like how do people aspire in New York it's really how do you hard. how do you how do you go from being like oh, I want to be a musician to being able to afford not just life but then Something basic like having a band. I mean, you need a band that's like, fuck it, I'll do it for free. Yeah. Because he can't afford a hundred dollars a person a show. No, totally. I would assume. No, definitely not. <laughs> Unless you babysit. But <laughs> <laughs> you babysit in mass. You like it's how you start your babysitting company or something. Yeah. So where do you rehearse? So I I got really lucky in both of those situations because the band that I was playing with had they lived in Riverdale still with their family. Two of them, the two brothers, one was the bass player, one was the drummer. And they had built this kind of like rehearsal space studio in their basement. So I went there almost every day after school and just like rehearsed there. And then when it got to recording, we, we, yeah, (laughs) we had my uncle and we did it there or we'd like hire someone who had a studio or something like that. What did your older brothers think when you kind of stole their (laughs) band? They were psyched. It was really fun. It was such a fun time. Like we'd, I was in high school, but trying to like be friends with my brothers and their friends. So I would go out with them all the time and got fake ID like super early on. It was a really fun time. And I think my one of my brothers was like, so you were kind like of 13 us. going into bars? Yeah. Actually, but they had to know. I mean, bar people at a. I mean, I looked a lot, I looked a lot older because I was always tall. Yeah. But I remember one show that we were actually playing in a bar, they were trying to not let me in because I was underage. And I was like, we have show here tonight. I have yeah. to get in. And I ended up like sneaking in the back or something and the guy in the front forgot about it. But it was crazy. And, and my friends then all had to get fake IDs to come to shows and they were all getting their IDs taken away all the time. It was like, it was absurd. So they were spending $100 to pop <laughs> to go see yeah. you. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> Big expense for everyone involved. <laughs> the other people in the band, I mean, are are they people that you grew up with then? I mean, obviously they, they were in your brother's band and stuff like that. So you convince them to play with you. Are they do they become kind of older brothers also? Yeah. Like is the whole vibe is like Here's is it Emily Warren and the older brothers? <laughs> I know it's the betters, but are yeah. they really like older brothers to you? No, it was it was that was kind of what was so much fun about it was they had all gone to school with my brothers since kindergarten and so they knew me when I was before I realized that I knew them. And ATN the drummer used to always say he changed my diapers and now he was the drummer. <laughs> <laughs> but it was sick. It was like I really remember that time so fondly. I mean, I'm happy about how everything worked out, obviously, but it was it was such a... What was so fun about being in New York then was you could play one venue, and if you filled the room, you could kind of go up a level to the next venue, and it was just like I learned so much, and I was kind of managing it myself and just booking it myself and doing all the artwork and everything. And it was just... It was so much fun. How did you do, I don't know, school? <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I the funny thing is in my school, I went to like a really academic, rigorous school on the Upper West Side, and I was like the kid in my grade who was fucking my life up because I was I didn't care so much about doing homework or I'd do it on the way to class or right before, and I was my grades were suffering. and And this is the kind of school where they they need everyone to go to Harvard and Princeton, and that's like what they pride themselves on. So it was hard, and then. I somehow got into the music program at NYU, which I think was because I had done all this stuff with my band. And it was this crazy, crazy moment because I, I got rejected from every single school I got I applied to except that one pretty much. Except for Tish? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. It was crazy. So you had to audition though. To be a singer, was that your instrument or was your? did you not have to audition? I actually didn't have to audition. I just sent them like all the material from my band and everything we had done and all the flyers I had made and everything. And that was enough. So you're in the Clive Davis School. You've now lived basically... 18 to 22 years, all in 23 square miles. <laughs> yeah. Like, didn't you, did you tour? Did you travel? Or were you basically like Manhattan? I mean, Manhattan's huge. And when you're yeah. young, it's got to be even bigger. And I mean, you just like live on this island. Everything yeah. you do, you do the high school, college, everything there. Yeah. I hadn't like, really left that much. I mean, we did a few college shows, but that was all like upstate New York and stuff like that. So, did your you know, family travel? Like, just for fun? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I mean, I hadn't traveled for music, but my parents are really intense about traveling. Like, that was always... We went to camp for a while, and then they were like, if you want to do... if you Unless you want to get a job, like, you ha- you should go do something more than that. Like, go do community service or language stuff somewhere else, which was... That's definitely where the bug started for me and why I like being all over the place now is... is what kind of community service? I did... Um, I did a program in Costa Rica one summer that was like, it was all different. It was language immersion community service. So there was like, we worked at an orphanage. We were like helping rebuild the school, all kinds of stuff like that. Do you that. speak Spanish? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Enough. Enough. It's good, it's good for uh, for LA for sure. Yeah. Um, it's good for what's going on in the music industry too. Yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of times where you've been able to use that. In the last couple of years, I just put my first Spanish word into a song, but hopefully more well, of that coming well, up. <laughs> Ciao. Oh God, I don't Adios. Even Hola. The new, the new, uh, <laughs> the, the new Flo Rida song is called Hola. I didn't write it. Um, uh, okay, so you go to you go to Tish and you move all the way to. Do you still stay home or do you go and live in the dorms and stuff? I went to the dorms for the first year to try and like be a part of that. Did mm-hmm. you graduate? Yeah. So you went, did it, was it four years that you were there? I did it in three years, but, okay. but over the course of four years, if that makes sense, I took one year off. When in the, well, why did you take the year off? To come here. I had, I would, I had just gotten signed, so I didn't want to. How old were you when you got signed? Junior year of college, so. Well, let's go back to the beginning, because yeah. you, you said that at senior year, you, um, the betters break up. Yeah. Were they like, what the fuck? Or was it like, no, you're going to college, that was fun? No, we it, we were just planning to stay together. I mean, it kind of, it was kind of a disaster really because obviously I had gotten into the school with the band and it was like, that was what I had to show for myself. 
Um, and we just started having kind of differences at that point. And what were the? It's complicated <laughs> as bands are, but I think we just had different ideas of like what we were doing and and kind of agreements about. I don't know. Everyone started fighting all the time, and it was like we just weren't seeing eye to eye, and it became not fun. Really, it was just kind of hard. So we split up, and when I got to school, like the first week of of Clive Davis, this Clive Davis program is everyone sharing their stuff and doing all these things, and I was like, my band just split up, and like here's the songs we did, but we're, I'm not doing this anymore. So. Hey, it was but, terrible. But I felt so shitty. In. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and just all these other kids are getting up and showing all these amazing projects they're working on. And I was like, I have to figure out what I'm doing. I was like, I'm completely fucked now. And actually, Benny Blanco came in to speak. And I remember that day, I was like, I have to, I have to just start writing. Like, I have to start writing, not necessarily for me. I just want to start writing. Um, and I was like, my this is a funny part of the story too my brother who was kind of helping manage us at the time had posted about one of my shows on Facebook and someone he went to camp with stepped in and was like I'd like to manage just like try managing Emily and he had another job but anyways we tried it and he ended up putting me in a session with Scott Harris who I write with all the time now who's that was when that was my first session ever your first session with Scott? <laughs> yeah Crazy. Yeah. How did that guy know Scott? They, he had managed Scott's band. They went to college together. Um, so yeah, everything everything that happened around that time was so like serendipitous and just ridiculous. So you're 18 and you just start. You have the first people, first person you write with is Scott. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. How soon after that to when you know you realize that this might actually be. You know, I mean, I, I just imagine being in school and doing that at the same time. Yeah. You're like, why am I also in school? I mean, how do you balance that? That was that was crazy because I everyone was kind of saying, you're not going to finish, you're not going to graduate, there's no point. And that made me need to graduate. I was like, okay, now I have to do this. But there was a crazy time where I had moved all my classes in college to kind of like the first two or three days of the week early in the morning. So I'd be done in time to do a session. And it was just like I would sleep for three, four hours a night that whole year, just like doing sessions and then like going out to shows and meeting people and just, I don't know, it was crazy. Now I have no idea how I could do that because I need to sleep now for like nine to hours. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Where you get really ornery and like. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we were talking about that. Recently, where it's like when babies cry, you know, they're crying because they're hungry or yeah. they're crying because they're sleepy. And when you're older, you just complain when you're tired or you're hungry, you know, it's like it's the same. It, it really doesn't change. Um, so you send these songs, I assume, with, that you're doing with Scott to Rhea, who you knew from the band days. Yeah. Is that the process? Is that where am I following this right? Exactly. Okay. I actually hadn't. I hadn't spoken to Rhea in maybe two years. She just came to, we had a show at the studio at Webster Hall, I remember, and she came and I didn't even meet her that night. My brother spoke to her. And then I had written with Scott. I'd written like maybe five or six songs only. And I went into my email and I typed in records search just to see if I knew anyone under a record label and Rhea's email came up. At Atlantic Records because she'd been an intern there at, a ta- at the yeah, time. Yeah, Aaron Bishop. Yeah, exactly. And um, I just emailed her and I was like, "Hey, I know I haven't spoken to you in years. I've started writing just for pitch now. Here's the songs I'm doing. Let me know what you think." And she, uh, and I was like, "I'd love to come in and meet with you." And she responded saying. I'm going to check these out, but by the way, I've moved to LA and I'm switching jobs literally today to go work for Dr. Luke Prescription Songs. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, and then she called me the next day. She's like, who's managing you? Are you published? Like, what's going on? And I was like, no, I'm just I'm by myself. And she was like, I'd love to play this for Luke. And she kept saying that. And I kept thinking, all right, <laughs> that's fully not going to happen, but okay. And one, Why didn't you think it would happen? Because it was so ridiculous. I was coming from like, it was just ridiculous. I had nothing going on and she's like, I'm going to play your songs for Dr. Luke. And I was like, 
no right. way is this happening to me. Right. And one night she texted me, I remember it was like two in the morning, and she said, check your Facebook messages. And so I went on Facebook and I had a message from Dr. Luke being like, I love your songs, we'd love to help out in any way. I'd love to have you come out to LA so we can meet you. And I was like, oh, what is happening? So that whole moment in my life with Scott and Rhea and I met my manager Zach through Scott at that time too it was just like it's pure luck I think just a crazy moment for me where everything just had fallen apart and I thought it was over and it just fell together in an amazing way did any of those songs turn into any of the ones we know um, one of the songs was called Until You Were Gone, which is the first song that got sent to the Chainsmokers. And they left me on it as a feature. And that started my whole relationship with them. So that song. <laughs> it's weird because I was trying to figure out how to how to say this where you have all these all these young writers um wanna write with you know, Britney Spears and they want to write with Christina Aguilera and they want to write with, you know, uh, Backstreet Boys or whatever. They, they still look up to the people that, they, that were huge when they were younger. Right. And in a weird sort of way, like when, when you're just starting out, you get the cuts that, that you can get. Yeah, and the only way you win is if your songs are better than everybody else's, mm -hmm. because it's your cuts at the time. I mean, it's easy to look at Chainsmokers now and say, you know, yeah, of course anybody would work with Chainsmokers now. Yeah, but when you worked with them, they weren't the Chainsmokers as you know them. Like all the songs that you have with the people that you were getting cuts with were. You know, they're unknown artists or they were beginning baby artists and your songs just cut through, which is like the hardest thing Thank to do. You. Like it's really genuinely probably like the, the nicest compliment I can give. <laughs> I is that, that I feel great now. Thank you. But it's really hard to do that. I mean, I imagine that you're sitting there writing, getting songs cut by Chainsmokers being like, oh man, if only I could write with and thinking about some, some artist that was formerly huge. Yeah. You know, like... I assume that's that's really like the mindset of an up and coming writer yeah. at the time, right? I mean, I I think partially because I was in New York at the beginning, would just literally do any session. I just wanted to do. I wanted my calendar to be full with sessions. So we did. I mean, I did a lot of random things, and I think I learned. I'm trying to think when this occurred to me, but I'd get in the mix with some artists and. You know, they'd say like, oh, we're putting this, even with Jesse J at that time, it was like, we're putting this song on hold and we have a song from Diplo and we have a song from Max and we have this thing. And it was like, I don't, it didn't feel good to try and compete with that because I knew they were going to win out. No one knew who I was. And actually, I think Jasmine Thompson, Scott and I started working with and we spent like two weeks with her and really got to know her and have conversations with her and started making songs about real things with her. And it felt like, okay, if we could get involved with someone who's not also taking songs from all these other people that we have to compete with, but you can kind of be their person and have a relationship with them, then I'd, I'd so much rather help somebody grow than kind of like compete <laughs> for somebody to take my songs. So, I mean, I definitely had goals always of working with certain people that I admire and stuff, but it did always seem more exciting to me to be the person that like, Changed someone's situation. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Did someone uh, introduce that concept to you? Or was this just a sort of fortunate sort of this is natural for me to think? <laughs> That way. Or was that like a philosophy with you and your manager and Scott? Like, let's aim for Sean Mendez and chain smokers before they're chain smokers and Sean Mendez. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it happened pretty naturally. I think even with the chain smokers, when the day Scott and I went in to write, don't let me down, Scott was like, I don't know. Like, they did selfie. And I was like, they're, they're good dudes. Like, I've met them. I did don't until you're gone with them. Like, let's, he's a good dude. Let's work with him. And don't let me down happened. So, I think it wasn't as intentional of like being a part of something like that. It was more just like not being picky. Any session, if someone was cool and nice, it was like there's no reason not to write a song with them. And I still kind of feel that way. It's not someone doesn't have to be at a certain place to work with them. It's it's way more exciting to work with someone who really wants it and who really wants to work with you and just benefit from that. Do you change the way you write depending on the artist you're with? Because I imagine Don't Let Me Down is not how you were sounding when it was you and the betters. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like, are are you consciously thinking like, oh, on this beat, this would be this kind of song? Or are you thinking this is, you know, how much of it is you? How much of it is you writing for the artist? Um, I think when the artist is in the room, something that I really try and do is just support them in the sense that like I it's not important to me to like have my concept that I want them that I think will be cool for them it's really important for me to ask them questions and hear what's going on with them and then just help them get that story out so I think that's why I've I've always loved I mean one of the big problems with our band that people were always saying after shows is you guys have a reggae song and then you have a pop song and then you have a soul song like you're doing everything just pick something (laughs) But for me, it was like I love all different kinds of music and I wanted to make all different kinds of music. So it's really a fun challenge for me to go in with all different kinds of artists and try and just bring the best out in them and not like I think I have my own instincts that I put in things, but it's not it's not so much about me when I'm working with people. When did you decide you wanted to pursue being an artist? Um there were two things that happened. One was it started to feel like there was there was a handful of songs that, you know, I'd, I'd hear, oh, so-and-so wants to cut this song. And I'd be like, mm, it's, I don't know if I'm really going to like anyone else singing that song. And there was only like maybe three or four of these. And then Capsize, the song I did with Friendship, happened and they left my vocal on it. And it ended up kind of blowing up in this super organic way that wasn't like they weren't signed there was like a small push by an independent publicist but it was like it happened so naturally that I think it clicked in my mind the idea that you don't have to be this like crafted polished pop star in order to put songs out and people to care about them it's like you can make music and put it out on Spotify or whatever and not necessarily target radio and just like put art out and I think I hadn't really realized that at the time and what what I wanted to do which was not stop everything I was doing and become an artist but keep writing and then but also put out the songs that meant something to me that was like I remember Capsize was kind of getting momentum and Zach sat me down he's like if you want to do this like this is a moment this is a moment to do it so were you getting hit up by a lot of record labels yeah <laughs> but you didn't sign with any of them right no why I don't know. I I have taken a lot of label meetings and kind of waited to be so inspired in a meeting that I was like down to sign away 83% of a master <laughs> and nothing has really struck me as worth that. Who who's teach is that from the from Clive Davis school all the way till now that you're just like, "Man, I'd rather own my masters than be P Diddy." <laughs> well, it's just and also, I mean, not only the master thing, but that's a big thing just because I don't know if I want to do like a whole radio. I'm trying to not think about radio when I'm writing my own songs, just like have it be 
what people like. It's not that your songs aren't particularly commercial, <laughs> though. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think naturally, isn't it hard to turn off some of yeah, the? Yeah, definitely. You know, like. Yeah, I think there's. It's hard to tell when it's good music, when it's good songs. Sometimes, and when you're the artist, you're like, well, it's it's personal, but right. I, you know, your songs still have structure. Definitely, yeah. But I think the other thing too that's kind of put me off it a little bit is how many sessions I've been in with artists who are struggling with their A and Rs, are struggling with they want to put something out or they have a certain vision and they're being pressured another way or their video isn't what they want or all these other things that just felt like, at least right now, I don't need any more cooks in the kitchen. I kind of know what I want things to sound like and look like and I can, with the money I've made from songwriting, I can kind of fund the whole thing myself. So, What's your record company called? Havenwood House. <laughs> what is that from? Uh, my parents have a house in Connecticut that we ended up like renting a bunch of gear and doing a lot of the recording there. So just felt right. It's called the house that they moved into was already called Havenwood. Like there was a doormat that said Havenwood. So who's who's like distributing this? Who's putting it on DSPs? Is it just through Intune? Is it just through like uh, or I mean not Intune. Is it through like, I should know this. Zach's doing it, but STEM is helping. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. STEM. Okay. Um yeah. so yeah, we're just doing Swedish. it ourselves. <laughs> Swedes all day. Um, <laughs> do you think you would sign other, you know, other artists? Um, I have started thinking about signing people. I mean, I think I'm thinking now more. I could help on a publishing side than a label side because I feel like until I get my own thing fully off the ground, it's a hard sell with an artist being like, "I can do this for you." But um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. I mean, you're a record exec. <laughs> Thank a, you. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, do you, do you? I think what people don't realize. Um, that was my like. That's how I got in the business too. Is I was like, I was, I'll, I'll put out my own albums, and I put like my little logo on the back of the CD. Yeah. And when we were negotiating with labels, there was someone that was like, "I'll buy your label." All of a sudden, I ran a record label. <laughs> You know, it's like what running a record label is 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 strange on some level. When you're really young, you're like, oh, I could run a record label, and then the older you get, the more you realize how little you know. <laughs> but you also realize how little everybody knows. Yeah, you know that totally. those. You know, when you walk in with what you think is a hit, you're the one who walked in knowing it's a hit. So if you release the song, you might as well release the song yourself right. if you can. Right. I mean, not totally. Does it affect how you communicate with other record labels now that you kind of run your own on like other artist stuff? Sure. Yeah, I think I mean, one really cool thing that we've been trying to do Zach and I is like in terms of splits and like splitting the master and stuff like that is we can kind of get creative and we've been trying to do I I have this whole thing about how labels buy the master from the producer which I think is really twisted just because I've had so many I mean early on I had so many cuts that like I was unknown and the producer was unknown and they'd get 10 grand and I'd make no dollars because it was like track eight on someone's album. Right. And I just always felt like how dangerous that is because songwriters can't sustain themselves unless they get a, a big song on radio. Like there's no hope if you're getting album cuts have no value for writers. Um, so what we've been trying to do is when I'm, when we put out, when I put out my own music, I always give the writer a piece of the master and the producer a piece of the master and I take a piece of the master just because I feel like I can try starting to do what I think should be done in some way. So that's that's kind of had us thinking differently about stuff. You have a song that's on radio right now. You have the Dua Lipa song that's doing really well, um, that's doing well worldwide. Mm -hmm. Do you follow charts? Are you comparing that to what you're doing as an artist? Not really. I mean... It's funny, the only times I start thinking, are we doing something wrong with my artist project is when people are like, so what's going on with your artist project? And I'm like, uh. Because <laughs> like, to me, we're just putting songs out. And I, and the plan right now, quote unquote, is just to follow what happens. And just if there's if something starts doing really well, we'll maybe put some money behind it to go to radio or something like that. But kind of just 
but releasing music. Yeah, and it's, it's really just fun for me right now. So there's not like a master plan unless something comes about. So the nice that that actually was it is one of the nice things with my my artist stuff is I don't have to follow charts like that's kind of that's my bread and butter really with that stuff and I love doing it so it's given me the freedom to kind of not put pressure on my own stuff what's the next step for you as as a writer now that you've sort of accomplished as much as you have in such a short period of time <laughs> Do you still aspire to do stuff as you know as a writer that's different? Because I know you're talking about potentially signing other writers. You have a record company now. <laughs> you're an artist. Yeah. You know what do you feel like you need to accomplish as a writer that you haven't yet? Uh, that is a good question. I don't know. I I feel like an accomplishment would be continuing to do what I'm doing now. I get to wake up every day and write songs all over the world and with all different people and that's that <laughs> would keep me happy forever. I asked Scott Harris this morning in this <laughs> next segment <laughs> what's something Scott Harris would ask you. Oh wow. And he just said he goes he goes you need to ask about um about her her dad's jazz bass playing. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. Tell me something about your your dad's <laughs> jazz bass playing. We got him on a, a song that Scott and I wrote for my stuff. My dad came in and played the bass on, which he's super excited about. It took him a long time to get the bass line just right. So that'll be hitting the streets soon. <laughs> Sick. Um, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. My family affair. Yeah. Thing. I I was forgot to ask. What was it like to sing on Paris and not be a writer on it? <laughs> Good. <laughs> It was funny. I think I actually, uh, that was the same day I wrote um, Poking Holes, my song that just came out. And Nick Ruth, who produced it, was like, I'm, I just had to finish like cleaning up some stuff. And Drew from the Chainsmokers called me. He's like, I'm down the street at Jungle, Jungle City? Whatever, studio in New York. <laughs> and um, he's like, can you just come put vocals on something? And I went in for like 20 minutes and then that whole situation was so insane because people were like guessing who was on the song and it was like Selena Gomez or Luann and I, and people were tweeting at me being like, no, it's Selena Gomez. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I got really confused, but it was sick. And I think that whole thing, sorry, I went on tour with the Chainsmokers and did that song with them and my songs and Don't Let Me Down. And How big were the rooms that you got to play? 60,000 people in some stadiums, yeah. right? Uh, it was, I think it was like nine, ten, and eleven thousand. Did you get nervous? Um, somehow, no. I know that's crazy, but nothing will ever be as scary as playing the bitter end to me. Because there's like, if you're in a, an arena, you can't really see anyone. It's just like a big, giant, dark room. But bitter end is like people three inches away from your face, looking bored and just like <laughs> with, their arm, with their arms crossed, ju yeah. judging you. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go with uh, five. I'm going to name five people and just tell me the first thing that comes off the top of your head. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Dr. Luke. Oh, Luke's the best. <laughs> I love Luke. He's He took a chance on me really early on, and he's supportive in the best way now. I think he's he's giving me a lot of advice about my artist stuff and how to do it, and he just had me and my the people I'm doing it with come out to his house in Hawaii, which was insane to work on music there. Um, so yeah, he's the best. Did you get to fly on his plane? I didn't fly on the plane. It's <laughs> pretty cool. It was already there. The chain smokers. They're also the best. <laughs> I was actually just talking to Zach about this yesterday, but I think everyone should be so lucky as to have a creative relationship like I have with them. Because a lot of artists that we all work with, you kind of get a great song with them and then they kind of move on to other writers and move on to bigger things. But Drew and Alex have kept me writing with them since the very beginning and I'm doing this whole next album with them and we're friends and we've been on tour together and it's just, you, you really gain something from writing with someone you know that well. When we sit down, it's not like meeting each other for the first time. It's like, what's going on with this situation today? And just... It's awesome. I love them so much. I'm 
so excited every time I get to make music with them. Zach, your manager. <laughs> Everyone's the best. You're asking me about the best people. That's what I did. <laughs> if I asked you about the worst, that'd be like <laughs> that a really suck. like incriminating thing for you to say. <laughs> wow, what can I say? Everyone should also be so lucky as to have a manager like Zach. He's he's a friend first and Zach is like fully supportive in a way that's insane. Like if I wanted to do anything, he would he just he knows how to make us all yeah, he knows how to make us all feel like we're everything we choose to do is the best thing. And I think him and I have amazing conversations because I'm so emotional about decisions and he's very logical about decisions. And so I I feel like when we meet in the middle, it's usually like a well rounded decision. (laughs) Sure. Scott Harris, also the, <laughs> also the best. Scott, actually, the first I didn't say this, but that that first session I ever had with Scott, I didn't want to be in the session because I was not yet down to write with other people. I was still really shy about it, so I was being completely silent the whole time, and it did not go well. And somehow Scott texted me the next day, and he's like, "Hey, if you're free after class today, like, do you want to try again?" Which is crazy. Who does that? And I went in again, and that's when we—that's when we really got something. So that Do you was. Think a, of yourself as shy? Not anymore. <laughs> I definitely was. I mean, slightly sometimes, but back then I was like, I actually didn't speak that whole session except for like, "Hey, I'm Emily," and that was it. I was just waiting <laughs> for it to be over. Sean Mendez. Sean. Sean's great too. I mean, you guys, you worked on. You were probably the first four songs that he wrote. <laughs> You know? Yeah, Scott Scott pulled me in on that and Scott at the time brought in like Scott we had written so many songs in his apartment just on guitar and that was there was a lot of stuff in there that then kind of translated like aftertaste Scott and I wrote in in his hallway. So yeah, Sean's awesome and it's been so crazy watching that whole thing turn into what it has and yet him still being the most grounded, kind, cool kid ever. Yeah. It's super impressive. Um, yeah. The Betters. <laughs> oh, this is six, but that's fine. I'm going with The Betters. <laughs> They're great. Actually, you know, do you know the band Mr. Wives? No. Them? They're, most of them are now in this band called The Mr. Wives that are they're doing really well. So it's awesome to see that. Do you guys all get along now? Yeah. No, we're total. I mean, I haven't seen them in a while, but we're we're definitely cool. And I'm, like I said, remember that time really fondly and so grateful for everything that I experienced and learned then with them do people from your high school and college know what's happening with you were they i mean (laughs) i imagine that everybody from your high school and from before that they're seeing how crazy this shit is right yeah totally my my friends from high school are still my best friends now we all went to school together from kindergarten to 12th grade so they're amazing and it's they came to um, they came to a lot of shows on the tour and i was always getting made fun of because they'd fly to like random cities to come see and I'd be like I need 11 tickets in Kansas City tonight and they were like how (laughs) do you have 11 people in Kansas City but they're the best they're so supportive and we're we're actually shooting a music video for Poking Holes in December and they're all going to be in it are you shooting it in New York? yeah that's really cool yeah what's the message for up and coming writers? I would say to trust your gut on everything I think when you're starting out and you have powerful people kind of trying to push you in one way or another just because they think that's what's best for you. That if something feels wrong, like even if you don't want to give a song to someone or you don't want to sign something or anything like that, like your instinct is probably right. And I'm really lucky I didn't rush into certain things because I had people giving me that advice. And I think there's moments when you think this is my last chance. This is the last person that's going to pay attention to me, and it's it's really not true. So, just be patient. <laughs> it's so weird. The patience thing is so hard for people to actually grasp, mm-hmm. and it takes so much work to be patient. Mm-hmm. Definitely, just let some things unfold the way they're supposed to. And, yeah, you know, the compare and despair, and like you yeah. look at somebody else's career and try to be, why am I not moving at that pace or yeah. whatever it is. And it's like it's so important to just do your own path. But, you know, this is a cool interview to do for a couple of reasons. One is that you're young, but you are really experienced 
you know, one of the things that that we've talked about, it's like, you know, I was in bands for years, but as a writer, I've really only been writing for, you know, for other people for eight years, something like right. that. You know, and you've been writing for people for eight years. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like this is just because you're younger doesn't mean you're as as experienced as some people who may be older. Right. And you've used that knowledge, what you've gained in in school and what you've gained out of school to do something that a lot of writers aspire to do and a lot of artists aspire to do, to put out your own music, to make your own rules. In, In a world where it's a lot of other people's opinions that matter and you guys are finding a way to make your opinion matter and I really uh, applaud that and I admire that and thank you for doing this thank you alright Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. On next week's episode, we sit down with Ian Kirkpatrick. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.